If it's not working right now, just keep tweaking things until you get something that resonates. Once, once, once I got noticed, and uh, and I think that was in, might have been in the Washington Post. It kind of brought a lot of attention, but that also let me know that hey, I, I can do this. You know, yeah. I can build applications that people find useful. You know, if I if I did it once, I can do it again. Hey guys, welcome to Startup Hand-Me-Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu, and thank you so much for giving me the next 30 minutes of your time. I promise it'll be worth it. So today I had the pleasure of interviewing Patrick Jackson, who was the Chief Technology Officer at Disconnect, which allows people to browse the web without being tracked. Now, given the new GDPR regulations, you could say these guys launched way before their time. Disconnect launched in early 2010 and has gone on to help over 15 million people browse the web anonymously. They've raised millions of dollars and have a Google Chrome and Firefox extension of the product to allow people to search anonymously. Before joining Disconnect, Patrick founded a number of startups through his company, Imaginary Feet, which received over 8 million downloads across a number of the apps they launched. Like one of our previous guests, Makiva Conwell II, Patrick also worked at the NSA. In fact, they worked together, and then once they left the NSA, they went on to launch a number of startups too. In this episode, we talk about how to launch an app very quickly and when to kill a project. We'll also talk about why press releases don't matter and why you shouldn't buy into the hype. Okay, let's jump into the action. So Patrick, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. So Patrick, when you're at an event, how do you introduce yourself to people? Uh, well, I start off with my, my name. I, I tell them I'm Patrick Jackson. Uh, typically, I'm, I'm at events in San Francisco, so I, I let people know that I'm from the East Coast. <laughs> I moved to San Francisco from uh, uh, from Maryland, uh, and I was in the DMV area for a, few, a while, you know, including college, so uh, a good amount of time. And, and I let them know that I'm currently the CTO, uh, the Chief Technology Officer at Disconnect, which is an online privacy and security company. Nice. And um, so you originally started off as an engineer and you've done some amazing things in your career, which we're going to get into. But um, can you tell me a little bit about how you got into programming and ultimately how you ended up in your first role? Yeah, yeah. So I, I was always really interested in computers. And my parents, you know, they got me computers from a really early age. Uh, I, I, I suspect that I was the first one in my whole high school my high school was of 3,000 students with a cable modem wow. back in the early, uh, late, late 90s. Um, and so it was, uh, you know, just having access to high-speed internet, like you can just, it just, it just accelerates your learning, you know. Um, you can, you can download software, you're, you know, I'm downloading Linux distros, testing them out, uh, trying to program, you know, I wasn't as, I was still kind of bumping my head doing just the, 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 the kind of, amount, the minimum amount that I needed to know to, to get what I wanted to do done. Um, and, and at that time, I was really involved in, in network and computer security. And so that was like my my main 
my main passion. I had a lot of buddies on, on eBuddies, as I call them. They were on um, IRC, which is Internet Relay Chat, which was big back in the 90s, probably early 2000s. Mm. And, and it really expanded my network of, uh, of people I knew just online. And they, you know, I learned a lot from them. Um, they, they were in computer and network security as well. Uh, I still kind of keep in contact with some of them uh, here and there, but, but not really much anymore. Um, and then kind of that, that interest led me into my, my first role at um, the National Security Agency, which, you know, which was nice because it essentially the same thing that I was learning and, 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 and trying to figure out at home, you can pay to do them. And, and working for the NSA, so mm. uh, it was a, a perfect match for me. You know, I, I went to the NSA uh, during a, the co-op, which is similar to like an internship yeah. that you do while you're still in school, and you take some time off to go work full time. Mm. And and I, I'm doing the exact, you know, very similar things. Like you know, you're trying to understand uh, if, if there's weaknesses in certain, you know phones or, or devices or things like that, like the same things that, that, you know, you would be doing at home if you were just kind of playing around, like figuring out, can you push the limits of something? You mm. know, what happens when you do this and then it causes the phone to reboot? You know, yeah. okay, that's a denial of service you just created. So, you know, uh, so it was a perfect job for me, you know, to go on kind of future to do this and learning from the best in the world. So what was it like working for the NSA? It was a really, uh, really cool experience, you know, working working with, you know, the best and brightest. You know, when I was there, and it still may be true, you know, the, the NSA hired the most PhD mathematicians in the world. Wow. And so a lot of your people that you work around, they're all PhDs and they're, 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 they're the experts in whatever their subject domain is. Mm. And so it's just amazing knowing that you could you could be stuck on a problem. And you could uh, go go to somebody's desk and ask them directly. And, and they, I'm telling you, these people were geniuses. And another really cool thing that I enjoyed, that I definitely took advantage of, was going to tech talks. And so the NSA was really big about having different technology talks. And they would have folks um, come and, and, and talk about either problems that they solved or problems that they're looking help looking for help on. Mm. And, uh, and, 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 and you would go there, and, and it's just... It was just amazing the, the the things people are working on, and, and the cool thing about it was a lot of those talks were classified. So it's you know you're 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 they're not they're not holding back what what they you know the information that they want to either get across or, or information they want to get across for you to help them solve something. And so you're really able to understand the depth of, uh, of the problems, and then and then you're given opportunity to provide input. So. You know, I definitely stayed in tech talks uh, a lot. I worked in, uh, I was lucky enough to, to work in research. So wow. I, uh, you know, half my job was was researching kind of new and, and uh, emerging technologies related to mobile and wireless. And, and then half was was actually uh, prototyping different, uh, different, uh, like, trying to see the best way to put it, but different, different applications that research whether that was for defensive or offensive me- uh, uh, you know measures and so you know I, I like to say that we in research we we prototype and then your job is to transition that to another org or agency for, for them to weaponize it or, or, or further uh, develop it or, or uh, uh, transition that to something in production nice um i so, guess that whole yeah, experience yeah. what did you learn the most you know i I learned that uh, it, it's 
it, it's I learned how businesses work, and, it, and that may sound weird that oh, okay, how did you learn how businesses work from the government? But just how people work together. How do you how do you have these really um, you know ambitious goals, and how do you break them down into pieces to, to solve them? And 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 I and, and and I started one of my startups while at the NSA, and 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 I and it's and it's just. You take all the lessons that you learn. Like you, you see, it, the, the government is this huge organization with 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 deep pockets to solve problems. But you, but you also see that some of the the, the biggest progress came out of smaller orgs or smaller efforts that mm. didn't have that much funding because they were forced to, uh, you know, to kind of make do with what they had. And, and, and a lot of times that brings innovation out. So. Um, so, you know, luckily I was able to work on a lot of small teams. So I was traditionally a part of those, those smaller orgs that, um, that really kind of have to make gold out of uh, nothing. Um, and so, so, you know, I took a lot of those lessons and I was able to touch a lot of different programming language, you know, uh, uh, server architectures, a lot of things, like everything you can think of goes on inside of a org like the NSA. And so by the time that it was time for me to build my own startup. I already kind of knew exactly, you know, the approach that I wanted to take, the languages, uh, things like that, databases, how to design databases. Uh, all that translated well to 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 uh, me doing my own thing. Nice. So was that the plan the whole time while you were at the NSA? Did you always know that you were going to go on and become an entrepreneur, or did you kind of initially think you were going to work your way up to like a senior exec? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, definitely not that. Like I used to, um, I used to see folks in the office that, that had like twenty and thirty years, and I knew that would never, never be me, and it was never the plan. So when I graduated from college, I went to Howard University. When I graduated from college, I asked. I already had an offer from the NSA, and I asked them, "What is the longest amount that I can defer this for until it's until it's no longer valid?" And they told me, "All right, you can." You can defer for three months, and then we'll rescind it. And so I took three months from when I graduated to uh, to, to build my own uh, company. Mm. And, the, and the the whole idea here was like I, I you know I've read so many stories on TechCrunch, and this is like 2008. You know, you reading about all these stories of people raising money and doing all this stuff. I, I really thought in that three months I was never going to have to start at the agency. You know, I, I thought that I was going to build up this company. It was going to be successful. And, and then, and then, and then I wouldn't have to take that offer. Um, but you know, it was kind of a lesson that yes, I, I, I laid the foundation for eventually the reason why I quit. Um, but it, it takes time because you can put in a lot of work, which I did. I, I, that's all I did for, you know, um, for those three months was just work, uh, on my own things. I paid my rent through my savings and, and all that. Uh, but it, it just takes time and not everything happens on the schedule that you kind of want it to mm. so you just always have to be prepared and, and be ready oh i definitely know that story very well um but we'll, we'll get on to that shortly <laughs> um so yeah so let's talk a bit about your entrepreneurial journey so tell me when you decided to like leave the nsa what was the first thing that you built so uh when when so wow pretty much in in 2008, or it was whenever the iPhone first came out, uh, 2000, I want to say 2009, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I was I was heavy on the SDK. When, when they first came out with the developer SDK, I was, 
I was really heavy on that, and I was creating applications at home. And I knew that I had a feeling it was going to be it was going to be pretty big. And and one of the uh, I, I wrote an application. It was called SpyPic. And and so uh, I got the idea when I was coming back from a conference in in Germany, and somebody on the plane had like this really crazy hairstyle. And I was like, man, this is a cool, crazy hairstyle. Let me let me take a picture of this. But I didn't want anybody behind me knowing I was taking a picture. And so I, I was like, you know, I should build an application that it looks like I'm maybe surfing the web or I'm reading a, you know, on Twitter, and 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 it's actually taking a picture. And so that turned into this app called SpyPic that, that got tons of downloads. And, and kind of fast forward, maybe like two weeks after it launched, it became the number uh, one photo application in China. Wow. And uh, and it got attention from my director, and, and, it, and it kind of got me meetings with uh, NSA lawyers and, and things like that. Like, it was a lot of, a lot of wanted attention. I thought it was just really cool that I built this app that got really big and, and stuff like that. But from their perspective, they, they wanted to make sure that everything, like, there was lines in between what I do at work and what I do at home, which is... And from my point of view, it's kind of ridiculous because this is just like a photo application. It's not, this is not some really sophisticated, you know, uh, exploit or anything like that. Yeah. It's really just something I built in my free time. So, so kind of once, once, when I got noticed in, uh, and I think that was in, might have been in the Washington Post, that article got indexed. Uh, it got indexed. It's, and, 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 and so news kind of gets ingested. And, and people at the uh, the agency can read it on their on their at, while they're at work, and that mm. article got ingested. So a lot of people at the agency read about that, and my name was in it, and so it kind of brought a lot of attention. But that also let me know that hey, I, I can do this, you know, yeah. I can build applications that people find useful, and and and, and you know, if I, if I did it once, I can do it again. Probably, you know, about six months after that happened, um, that's when, you know, I, I, I decided, hey, I'm going to switch things up. Uh, I, I, I got married in, in April of 2011, and I, and I put in my two weeks to the second. I got back, and then by April, like, 30th, it was my last day. Wow. And, 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 and I've been on this startup journey ever since. And, sorry, just going back to SpyPic, which obviously is an incredible story, um, how big did it get and did it generate money? Did it generate revenue or was it just like a cool thing, a cool free game that you put out there to see what would happen? Yeah, it, it did generate revenue. So it cost $1.99. Uh, and one of the things that I, I, I realized as I, on this app journey was, you know, you can always generate excitement for an application by either reducing the price or making it free. And so when, when the app first came out, it, it would make like $60 a day. Back then, you know, not many people were developing apps, and, and I was like, really? You know, I, I was completely fine with that, you know? Um, but uh, but when I made it free, that's when it got so many downloads. It got 25,000 downloads in a day wow. in China. Wow. Um, and, 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 then, and, then, and then that would ripple through the rest of the areas. And, and, and so... You know, it, it probably ended with maybe a half million downloads. And this is this is like periodically going from paid to free to paid to free. Every time you go from free to paid, there's always an, uh, a bump in your sales. Because yeah. by the by the time people hear about it, it's back it's back to paid. It's, and they've heard about it so much that they end up buying it. And so, um, 
so so yeah that that was that was that wasn't even the most successful app but that was kind of letting me know like hey this this can happen people are 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 are, uh, can, are buying and, or are downloading or buying the applications that I write so that that was kind of the start of the journey and then from there you know I tried a bunch of other different apps and and, and, uh, and my most successful app was called Frametastic which um, which back in the day like nowadays there's a lot of some framing apps you know where you can take photos into multiple frames yeah. and, you know Instagram even does it now but back you know back in 2000 12, I think when it launched, there weren't many apps that that did what Framtastic did. There was probably only like one or two, and so that was that was really just kind of being in the market at the right place at the right time. And that was a paid app that also had paid upgrades inside the app. And so, how how big did it get? And then what did you do first? Oh, are you talking about uh, Framtastic or yeah, Frame Framtastic? Framtastic. Oh, so it. it it, it probably it probably got to maybe seven million downloads. Wow! Uh, the last yeah, the last I checked, and and it and, and it probably I'm trying to think it it, it it generated it did generate millions, but it generated into the six figures of uh, of revenue. Um, and and you know it and and, and, and it's I kind of think of all these things as kind of learning opportunities and, and, and everything I learned up until Frametastic applied to the next one. So like example with Frametastic, it was a paid app that cost $1.99. But one day I, I was like, Hey, you know, I can generate more frames and sell these frames as in-app purchases mm. inside of Frametastic and everybody that's already bought it, you know, maybe they'll buy those new packs. And sure enough, it's like, once you have a customer who's happy, they're likely to buy those 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 upgrades, and 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 you would think, you know, that that maybe there would be pushback, like, hey, I already paid for this app, why are you charging me more? But it turns out there really wasn't much pushback. Like, I think people that owned it, they found utility in it, and and by the time the in-app purchases came out, they made, you know, they were like, oh, I like this app, oh, these new features, okay, I'm gonna buy that. So, uh, so that in Framtastic was also the first app that was featured by Apple. Um, like on their homepage. What were the steps that you took to build Frametastic? Like, you had this idea, and then how quickly did it? Did you get the first version out? Like, walk me through the steps. Yeah. So, so at the time, I had uh, it was me. I was a developer. I was CTO of this company called Imaginary Feet. Also, co-founder. This is this company that I had started yeah. back at the NSA. Um, we had a CEO who was more like a, a business person, but uh, yeah, he, he was a business person. Then we had a designer who could also code, and so the designer was always making mocks and and, and like different applications of stuff that he would like, and he would post those on Dribble. You know, a lot of designers do that to kind of keep keep them fresh, keep them you know continue to get feedback. Uh, and so he he had made this mock about a framing application. That he thought would be cool, and so he, he designed it, and then and then uh, and then so you know we, we we were like an idea factory where we didn't really necessarily have any set thing that we wanted to do, and so once he made mocks for Fantastic, then we were like, hey, we can build this. Um, uh, at the time, you know, there was before Instagram, or this this is maybe around the same time as Instagram uh, was doing photo filters and things like that. They, uh, uh, we, we realized like, oh, we could use this open source. Um, we could use this open source uh, 
image processing library called Image Magic, port that to iOS, and then and then do nice uh, photo effects, things like that. Uh, so so it, it was really kind of uh, you know it, from those mocks, then we decided, hey, we can build this out. So so uh, we do you know all the development house. Uh, uh, that was like one of the main things that I definitely encourage people to do is is build. If you have an idea and you have the capability, try to build it in house. And so uh, with that, you know, it doesn't really matter if what you're working on doesn't really span out well because you you only really spend time on it. So so from the mocks, then we 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 came out with V1, and from there V1 was not a hit. Like it wasn't like it was oh this is amazing and people love it. Like that really showed me the importance of iterating. Mm. And, and we continue to iterate, uh, even just pushing out releases every two weeks. Like I, I, it, it does something either for Apple to help you know get on their radar, or to just users' minds to know that oh, this is something that that I keep seeing popping up. There's more updates. They must be refining it. They're taking it serious. And so, uh, that, you know, that kind of helped create the mantra like when in doubt, iterate because you if it's not working right now, just keep tweaking things until you get something that resonates. That's, that's kind of how Frametastic came about. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and it wasn't, you know, if, if we had a crystal ball, like we didn't, we didn't know. Like we, we had applications that we worked on that, that we thought would be the next big thing. And you couldn't tell us otherwise. But it, it always happened that it was the things that we kind of just built to put out that ended up being the most successful. And did you so, guys raise, you know, did you guys raise any money? For imaginary feet, no. Uh, we, we just uh, we, we were lucky enough that we we actually had products that we sold and so that was enough to pay our salaries okay um, and and even yeah yeah and, and that kind of that imaginary feat set us up for when we did raise money with another company though okay and that would be crosswalker I'd imagine yeah 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 that's crosswalker okay so going back to um, the the framing app so you're launching it you're iterating on it People are downloading it. How were you getting the word out, or was this purely organic? You know, it, it was the things that worked best for us were purely organic. You know, we 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 tried different things where where we would uh, we would have they try to sponsor different web pages to promote us. Uh, you know, do things like that, but we never got a return. It was always the organic things that got us returns. And, and, and so we wasted a lot of money. You know, it, it was never things that, like, I, I've always wanted to just focus on the product. The, the product's good. Hopefully, it'll take us where we need to get to. But, uh, but you know, we kind of knew that, that, that uh, like, with the organic stuff, we, we knew that we had something when, I don't know if you, if you know a YouTube channel called Dormtainment. No. They, they do, like, uh, sketches. They were big probably, like, five years ago. They, you know, I don't know how they're really now, but at one point, their videos, everybody was watching them, and they 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 had a line where they where they said Frametastic. Uh, they said like uh, she uses Frametastic for her pictures or something like that, and and and, and, and it, that didn't bring like a huge bump, but it let us know that we were we were really kind of like normal, you know, uh, uh, like slang. You know, we built something that kind of just people would just say in a sentence, mm. and and that was cool, and and so you know, but. But everything non-organic we tried was horrible, and, I, and there was instances where we where we spent 
you like seven thousand dollars for like a, a promo, and and it, and it didn't yield anything. Oh, and you wow. realize like there's companies out here that are just exploiting a lot of the developers trying to promise them downloads but get the money up front. So you know it, it's so everything that I've learned up you know all the times we I bumped my head with you know frametastic and, and all that's all laid into kind of all my future products and, and how i choose to want to get the, get it out there and, and, and what i choose to want to spend money on in regards to marketing um, because a lot of it you have to really see through the fluff just to make sure you're not getting deemed by somebody their product is just gaming developers What happened to the app in the end? Uh, so it so so I left. So well, to back up, I the same group of folks we started a company called Crosswalk, and and so the whole idea was like we already had this company called Imaginary Feed that was able to pay our salaries. And by then, I had quit my job. Uh, we moved out to San Francisco. Um, and, and, and so, you know, we, 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 because of kind of our, our success and just paving our own, some folks that, uh, that we would cross paths with that ended the angel investing to crosswalk. So, you know, we kind of took it as these guys really like us and they believe in what we're doing. They've seen what we've already done with imaginary feet. So we kind of knew that we, if, if we, if we really wanted to start a new company and kind of do the traditional Silicon Valley, raise an angel round, get your series A. Like we knew that these guys would have our back because they, they really believed in us. And so we, uh, we, we knew that there was challenges with people discovering our apps because Fantastic and Fivepick, they were one bubble to the top, but we also had a lot of applications that didn't really get many eyeballs. So Crosswalk, uh, is a company was a company that attempted to solve app discovery. You know, help the smaller applications get visibility in social circles where maybe they wouldn't get it from just relying on the app store alone. And so we had this kind of grand idea, and and we we pitched it to uh, a group of investors that we we, we knew in passing, um, and they were former. They were all former AOL execs who like were at AOL in the beginning. And then they left, and so you know now they're they're just investors. Um, and so we we pitched to them. They they were with it. They they funded us. Uh, we got a hundred thousand dollars for our angel nice. uh, round for Crossword. And and then and then we were like, hey, let's let's do let's do this for real. Let's move out to San Francisco. You know, with with no real reason. Like honestly, we I think I think this, this was around the time Social Network came out, and so you know. And, 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 and according to TechCrunch, and just kind of reading what you saw, you, you thought, oh, you know, raising money is easy. And, and, and yes, raising the first 100K wasn't that bad. You know, we put up a pitch. We put the pitch deck together. We did a Skype call. We, we got the money. You know, that was all all cool. But I think we were we were just assuming that once we came out here, everything would just, like, fall in our laps for the most part. And and and, and I, I'm the technical guy. So, so – I, I know that as long as I build the product, all right, the business stuff will take care of itself. So, I, you know, the confidence in the business uh, side of, of Crosswalk, 
you know, I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to raise this money. You know, they'll work. And so, you know, cranked out, built the product, iterated so many times, like did all these crazy uh, cool features we got written up in. A lot of tech publications, you know, TechCrunch is quoted saying uh, app, that we did we, we, we did app discovery better than iTunes. Mm. So, you know, we, we felt we were on the path. But, you know, once we came out to San Francisco, it, it you know, we, we had no shortage of meetings with all the top VCs. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and we pitched, but it was clear that, that a lot of stuff wasn't gone through. You know, as it relates to roadmap and all that stuff, and and I think that's when you really start to uh, leadership is really leadership in people's respective roles really starts to show. Yeah. You know, like if you, you know, like up until that point, everything we had built was based on technology. Like we didn't make anything, we didn't have any business deals that put us over the top. Everything was 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 always just was this app good? Was the technology good? Did people like it? Did people want to use it? And, and, and now, you know, with Crosswalk, we were at that point where we were trying to convince investors, seasoned investors, like, hey, will you be a part of our Series A? And, and we didn't get anybody to fight. Like, we, we got a lot of friendlies, you know. Yeah, you know, let us know in the future, you know, kind of, you know, punting and all this stuff. Yeah. But um, <laughs> we, never, we, we never were able to raise our Series A. And so that, that was really the end of uh, both Crosswalk imaginary feed like just the relationship it was it was it was it was done and so um you know it 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 was good though because i kind of think of it like a relationship that that you you know that you're you're kind of keeping around but but once once you can't raise a series a it's like the market speaks to you and and it's like there's the you got to do something else now you have to pull the plug yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, so around that time, you know, uh, imaginary feet, it, 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 it was pretty much done at that point. Uh, and, and up until now, like since since I left, there's you can't even find the apps in the app store anymore because they were never updated. Because mm. you know, so you know, it, it, it once crosswalk collapsed, then then uh, we we went on to do different things, and and that was when I joined Disconnect. Great. And so Disconnect, explain what Disconnect is. Yeah, so Disconnect is an online privacy and security uh, startup, and, and we essentially let people manage their online privacy. So, you know, a lot of people may use our browser extension where we block cookies and, and third-party requests from being uh, sent in the web browser you know, you may use our VPN where you're trying to encrypt our your, your traffic in case you're like in a public Wi-Fi and you don't want other people to snoop on what you're doing. You use the VPN to encrypt your traffic from your machine to mm. our servers. Um, you know, products like that. Like we want users to be able to control who they're sending their data to. Um, and, if, and if they allow, if they want somebody to be able to track them, then they, that's something they can allow, you know, to, to happen like um, so we're, we're not like a lot of people think we're just an ad blocker, but we're not an ad blocker. Like we, we, we really want the user to take control of their privacy and, 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 and the relationship between the user and, and, and like the publisher and the ad ecosystem should be opt in. Like they should have to opt into, you know, what they want to attract from their machine and what they don't. 
And where did this idea come from? So this it, it originally came from uh, the one of the, the the founders. He worked at Google, and he he built he worked on like double click. He was a part of the acquisition from double click to to Google, and he he kind of saw from the inside how bad tracking was because he worked on the ad systems that tracked me, and so. He, in his free time, he, he wrote uh, a browser extension called like uh, Facebook Disconnect and Twitter Disconnect and, mm. and, and things like that, where you can install it. And if you go into, let's say you go into, you know, NBCnews.com, like it would block the Facebook like buttons and the Twitter like buttons mm. uh, or share buttons, you know, because all those buttons are tracking you across the web. They know exactly what articles you're browsing, things like that. So that's kind of where it started. And then, and then that turned into this whole kind of, you know, the users should be able to manage their privacy, not just in their browser, but across their mobile devices, maybe even their home, their Internet of Things devices, you know, all of that. And so, uh, so that kind of pet project is what, what, what was the catalyst for eventually creating Disconnect and then raising the Series A. Nice. And I guess when I think of, you know, Internet privacy, I instantly think about DuckDuckGo. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, the resistance they had in the early days when they launched, did you guys find that there was a lot of resistance when you, when you launched this connect? Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of people, you know, a lot of people think if you ask people, Hey, do you care about your privacy online? A lot of people will say, of course I do. But then when it takes, when it takes action to actually do something about it, then they kind of like fall, 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 fall away. So you know, I think it's something that people say they care about, but when it comes to taking action, they don't really do. And I and, and so with DuckDuckGo, you know, I used to like when they first came out, I thought it was an amazing idea. You know, uh, Prime Search, uh, you know, and, and, and so so the problem that DuckDuckGo has, which other search engines have as well, is you know, Google is so good at searches because they have a market share of all the searches, like. You know whether it's like 85 percent or something like that like they get the data from what search results users actually click on and one of the issues with DuckDuckGo is you know they don't have that data and so uh so since then they they've, they've partnered and they have different feeds from companies whether it's yahoo or yandex or i don't know exactly where they get their feeds from you know so that's improved over time because those folks are, are, are better um but I think that the first hurdle is getting users interested in actually taking action. And then the second is, is getting users to stay and realize, like, yes, this may not be exactly, you know, like your Google experience. It may be a little less, but you should stick with it because the, 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 the benefits outweigh kind of the, the 10 percent, you know, uh, decrease in relevant results in your searches. Yeah, that's so true. And so in terms of net neutrality, are you guys joining that conversation and how are you fighting against it? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're really, we're really big on a, a free and open internet. And, and a lot of these, uh, the companies that want that, that, that are against the free and open internet, they're doing it because they have a financial incentive. They want the internet to be a closed, uh, environment that they control, that they, you know, make you pay for different tiers or things like that. Mm. And and the internet is what it is because it's free and open. You know, it, it there's nothing that stops, you know, 
So uh, technologies, new technologies, as it is right now, from being deployed and, 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 and really, um, you know, succeed because the Internet is free and open. You know, but once once you get ISP starting to say, yes, you can at our lowest tier, you can only use, you know, uh, HTTP and you can't use any other protocols like that's going to stop all like imagine the high school me and, and, and probably the high school you like imagine if you were in those restricted environments like would you still do be and be where you're at now like if you didn't have that curiosity and be able to scratch those itches that you got early on just mm. trying to discover how things work you know like that that's that's really what they're trying to uh, try, trying to trying to get at and the, 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 the beauty of kind of where where we're at, I think that even if there's policy changes, which would be bad, I'm not I'm not I'm not with you know people taking away people's internet freedom, but if they are, I think you can you you'll just see a backlash of uh, of either individuals taking measures to just to either circumvent or uh, break out of whatever you know uh, tiers or plans that, that their ISPs put them in. Or you'll see companies, you know, like Apple, uh, you know, just even with the encryption stuff with Apple, like, they will, I think we'll start seeing leads that Apple took on encryption for uh, the free and open internet. And so, like, with the Apple encryption, like, they, they build their phones so that they don't have the liability of having to unlock a phone when a court order comes in and says unlock this phone. Because they don't even want to be in that scenario. Mm. And so... They took it upon themselves to make their phones as ironclad as possible against even them tampering with them. And so I think that that we'll start seeing uh, 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 manufacturers or service providers uh, that, that want to get the free and open Internet out to their users. I think we'll start seeing them do create products and services that uh, blend in and, 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 and make it harder to, to try to filter that traffic out. So I just want to switch gears a little bit now and talk about, you know, startups in a general sense. So you've been a CTO for many startups okay. um, and I want to pick your brains around the development process. So how should startups approach the product development process from idea to launching V1? I see. Uh, so so my, my, my uh, everything, my, my whole philosophy around this is is like dream about whatever you want like write it down if it helps you like it could be a huge kind of idea but you always want to boil it down to a, a MVP you know a minimal viable product because like the biggest the biggest detriment to to like actually launching something is never finishing you know because there's too many features too many things that you want to build mm. and so uh, a lot of times when I give advice people when you tell me their ideas and I'm like okay that's great but you really have to sh you know scrape off 90% of that if you actually want to get this product to market. And, and so, so like I'm all about writing down like, Hey, what is the long vision for this? Like, well, how do you see people doing this? And, and whatever that long pie in the sky vision may be, but your, your first V1 has to be something that you can accomplish. And, and a lot of times people don't want to hear that people, you know, I think I get people that, um, that think they're the next day Steve Jobs, and, and maybe they are. I'm not. I, I don't. I'm not to say whether they are or not. But they feel that their huge vision is what has to be created on V1. And and my 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 only advice is 
you know, nobody's really going to see your V1. You're going to launch your V1, and maybe you'll have some friends and family that, that get on it, and they'll be like, oh, that was a great job, Philip. You know, like, this is, <laughs> this is nice. I like it. Yeah. And maybe they'll never use it again, you know? And it's the V2 that kind of expands your audience a little bit more. Maybe you start reaching out, and this is like, I'm talking about V1. V.1.1, V.1.2, you know? Like, maybe that expands your, your audience a little bit more than you do 1.3. That expands a little bit more. And then by the time that you probably think that you're going to have as many eyeballs as you can get, you're, you're probably going to be on your whole version 3.0. Like, mm. That's the reality. So too many people want to try to build everything out of the gate as if everybody's going to see that product on, on day one, but they're not. You know, we, we, I've had products that, that, didn't, that didn't make it until months later. And, and, and it was completely unexpected. But by then, I kept iterating on the product. And so so that's, that, that's kind of my stage one. Like, boil down your product to something that is manageable, something that if you are developing it, you still stay motivated to, to, uh, to create it. And my kind, of, uh, my kind of thoughts around that is, like, I like to have my products into two-week chunks. Like, my, the first MVP, I want to try, try to get it done in two weeks. And if two I can't weeks. get it done in two weeks, then I probably need it. Yeah, to shave some more off of it. I'm talking about a lightweight V1. This is something that, you know, you're going to send around to all, you know, press and everything. I'm talking about just like whether it, like, like the first version of SpyPic was literally, it had five fake images of screenshots of like you reading a newspaper, you looking at the weather, and you could swipe those five pages, and then you could take a picture by typing, tapping on the screen. Mm-hmm. That was my V1. You know, later on, I got really sophisticated, and you could actually search. The, you could actually browse web pages, mm. like you're, and you could change the transparency so you can slightly see behind it. But that that wasn't until I got to like version two point So you know, uh, scale it down as much as possible, and and if you are able to build it, that's great. But if you aren't, then you then you really have to ideally find like a uh, a technical counterpart whether it's a co-founder or, or somebody like that, that you can get on board and have them build it with your vision. And, and actually, it's, it's really a collective vision because if you ask any engineer, I mean, there's some engineers that can kind of work, build whatever you want them to do. They cannot be passionate about it. But I, I really suggest people find um, like CTOs or, or engineering um, members that, that share the same passion that they do because like there's going to be a lot of things that, from your MVP that you don't think about, and once an engineer starts wiring things up, and they say, "Hey, this, you know, I, I understand what you're trying to do with your vision, so I just kind of took this my own initiative to, to kind of fill in the details right here, you know." But if you get somebody who's not really passionate about it, they're probably going to code exactly what you want, and it's not going to be what you want because yeah. you know there's going to be some things that you didn't even think about. But uh, you know, and that's the that's the downside of not having people on board that share your vision. So, so try to get them in the fold, try to get them incentivized and in a lot of ways to get them incentivized either monetarily or equity. And if the person is really interested in equity, then that means that they're probably on board with your, with your vision. And that's a, that's a good sign. Um, it doesn't mean that people should work for free. You know, if somebody wants to volunteer to work for free because it's a 50, 50 split, I think that's perfectly fine. But if you're trying to get something built that, uh, the person may, may or may not share, if they share a vision, but they say, yes, I'll take 20% equity, but I also need to pay the bills. I think that's completely acceptable as well. Um, mm. You know, 
and, and so like that's kind of one hurdle of making sure the person is on on board but then you also want to vet them as much as possible um, and and not to say that they have to be some genius who, who knows everything but make make sure they're at least skilled in the areas that you that you need them to be skilled in in order to bring your MVP to life and you know a lot of, a lot of times you might get people in the room that are your technical co-founder but then they uh, they say oh yeah to build it we're just going to bring on three people and then you, you don't really want to hear that because yeah. like you want to bring the person on that can help you build that MVP maybe maybe it won't be rock solid maybe it won't scale to millions of users that's what you don't need it at the time you just need an MVP and so that person probably can get you to that to that goal and then as the need requires you to scale to millions, maybe tens of millions of users, then you bring all the right people for them. But uh, but yeah, just make sure that you try to vet them as much as you can, maybe looking at previous projects, um, things that they've built in the past. Ask them, you know, did you actually build this? Like what, what frameworks did you use? And you don't have to be a genius as well, but you can take some of those frameworks, read up on them, and say like, oh, okay, this actually requires more than just uh, a point and clip um, you know like this is actually somebody knows what they're doing and if somebody tells you hey I just use Dreamweaver you know not a knock on Dreamweaver and I don't even know to use that anymore <laughs> but that may not have the skill sets to build an inter- interactive web application that has a database that maybe has caching you know those types of things yeah when it comes to the beginning of a startup right the founder and the CTO um, the CEO is generally the product manager so is it up to the CEO to set the timeline and the product spec? You know, I, I think that it should be it should be something that, that should be collaborative. So imagine if there's a small company that's just two of you, then I think that in order for both of you to be on board, that should be something that there's both input on. There I think there should be there should be, you know, uh, respectable pushback on both sides when it regards in regards to timeline versus features. You know, most times the CEO may want to feature creep and maybe balloon this a little bit out of control, and it's up to the CTO or, or lead engineer to say, hey, maybe not so much. Or it could honestly be the engineer that wants to over-engineer something, and then the CEO has to say, hey, let's 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 pause, let's, let's not do too much out of the gate. So. I, I think I think that if, if both parties are on agreement that we need to get an MVP out and there's a hard deadline for we want, when we want to start this alpha, I, you know, from there, then features, like you can have all the features spelled out that you want, but from there, that's when you really start to drag, drag and drop features into what we know we can accomplish in that goal. Uh, you know, because a lot of times it's, it's, it's when you think something is simple, it actually turns out to be complex. And so even when I say two weeks, like that, that, that really, I, you know, it, it, you need time to test and, and there's going to be some unforeseen circumstances that come. There's going to be things that maybe are a little bit harder to, to, to that you didn't bet on, you know, uh, taking longer than possible. Uh, there's going to be, be a feature that you're like, wow, I didn't really think about users are going to have to reset their passwords. Now I have to think through all of that stuff like this, you know, there, there's going to be things that pop up. That, that, that may take some time, but I always try to shoot for um, for, for two weeks. And and, and, and and that may mean that there's no design. Maybe maybe the first version is very minimally designed with, with uh, kind of UI kits or bootstraps that are found on the web. Uh, maybe 
maybe that means that you can only shoot for one platform. Maybe it's just iOS. Maybe it's just Android. Uh, but whenever, whenever I kind of hear people that start saying, uh, yeah, I want it for web and mobile, Android, uh, I have to tell that, that they're kind of shooting too big out of the gate. So Instagram is kind of the classic example of staying lean, staying in your lane, doing what you do well, and, and not really worrying about other, you know, supporting all other platforms. And, and, and you know, they didn't, they didn't support Android for the longest, and then they finally supported Android. And now, I, like, I still don't even think they support iPad. I may be wrong, but I don't think they have an iPad optimized app. And they were criticized about that for the longest. Mm. But, you know, they, they only had a handful of employees. And they just built a crazy value out of what they what they did well. And so I think the dangers of kind of trying to go too much, go too far out, um, hurt a lot of people in the long run instead of just kind of staying dedicated and, and doing what you do to the best the best that you can. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point to make. And I think some founders just feel as though, especially a lot of startups, they just feel that, you know, you need to move fast and break things as, you know, the saying goes. But what that means for some people is building everything at once. And that's just not the case. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm much more like, let's add pieces as we go. You know, let's, let's build out so people kind of get the vision. And then, uh, and you're still going to break some stuff because you're not, not going to get it right the, the first time. Just, you know, try to stay focused on the ultimate goal. And, and I like to say it's tunnel vision. You know, a lot of people... They start looking at competitors, figuring out like, oh, well, our competitor does X, Y, Z. We need to make sure we do X, Y, Z. And I, I think that's the opposite way to go about it. I, I like to have tunnel vision where if, I, if I've decided to build the product, I won't even research competitors because I don't want to be influenced by maybe what they do, but mm. could ultimately be a mistake. And I don't want to think of them as like kind of gospel of what you should be doing mm. when maybe they haven't figured it out if, if, they, if they had maybe I wouldn't be building the product I'm doing but since I'm building it I want to be completely influenced by whoever else is in the, in the, in the game right now that's a, that's a really good point just gonna work towards wrapping up now so I have some rapid fire questions for you so um, the first one favorite okay. book well it, it, you know it's probably what I've read most recently that I've liked, which is uh, Sapiens, and I don't know if you're familiar, but it's Yeah, my uh, sister keeps telling me to read it. Mankind. Yeah, it's really, it's really good. It's really good. And, and you know, I think it, it kind of nails down the fact that we have, as humankind, an unattractive history. Like, we are not the centerpiece, you know, of everything, which, you know, goes against a lot of, you know, societies and cultures of how they think you know, man is. And so, so I, I think this book shows that we are kind of one species that that, uh, that kind of evolved, but, you know, uh, there will be something after us and maybe we'll be able to extend ourselves. Uh, but but it, 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 reads, it still leaves a lot up to the reader to kind of interpret the, the, the facts that he lays out. So it, it, it's, it's definitely, I would definitely recommend that. Um, and then, and then, uh, and then another book, which is like more of kind of, I love sci-fi books, um, is called Dawn by Octavia E. Butler. And it, 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 and I love sci-fi because it allows you to really think outside the box. You don't really take what we know as kind of the laws of physics and, and, and say, okay, what can I build with this? They, they really think outside the box and think of, you know, wild stuff. And I think that's important for when you're, when you're thinking about starting a company is like having enough free thought to say, you know, what if what we have been giving, given isn't 
exact how things should be. Like, mm. what if what if there's a better way? And so with Don, you know, it, it's really a take on, you know, like uh, uh, like how aliens, if they came to a society that was damaged by nuclear war, like how would they see humans? And what would they see as our values, our strengths, and even, you know, things to our detriment? And it really kind of makes you question, um, you know, things that we may take for granted, but somebody looking from, you know, outside perspective, may say, like, you know, you guys are worried about the wrong stuff. This is what you should be worried about or, or, or not worried about. Mm. So well, uh, so I like to kind of mix the fiction and nonfiction, uh, get a healthy dose, a dose of both. Cool. And what was the name of the second book? It was, it's called Dawn. Dawn. By uh, Octavia E. Butler. Cool. What's been the, big, the biggest business mistake you've made? So, hmm, you know, I think, like, honestly, this is, and I tell people, tell people all the time is now, now that, now that you've gone, once, once you're a little bit older in business, there's things that you would do. Maybe you would do different, but, but you've learned a lot, so maybe you wouldn't do different. But, but uh, just make sure that you get everything that you sign off on vetted by somebody who's, uh, uh, you know, respected in their, their or are trained in that field, you know, legal legal stuff. Like I'm not a lawyer, so maybe I should be getting lawyers to review uh, things that may even look benign. You know, things that don't even seem like they may have that much impact, and, and definitely keep records of any and everything. Because uh, you know, an- another thing lesson that you you learn is business is not always um, you know kind of as it should be. Like hey, you know, treat people how you want to be treated, and there's 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 some some greed and some stuff that goes on. So like that's, that's, you know, when, when I talk to people that are just starting out and they tell me like, Oh yeah, you know, I'm starting a company and I'm doing this and I'm saying, that sounds great. Just make sure you understand what you're getting into and make sure that, that, uh, you understand what you're signing. Um, just so you don't you have a full picture of, of, of the arrangements that you, that you have and, uh, and, and, and things like that. So, it's, that's my main thing. Even if it's something small, I, I still get everything reviewed by a lawyer. That's good. That's good advice. And finally, I guess, what's the one piece of advice you would give to an early stage startup? I, I would say, you know, cut out as much of the noise as possible. And, and, and that may sound weird because, uh, you know, you give a lot of advice, I'm here giving some advice. But the, the reality is, is like we, we have things that we think work um, and things that maybe I've done up until this point but his you know the future will really dictate is this a good approach to take or not you know and and a lot of times people either look at retrospective you know like they they, they try to look at people's uh, advice from what they've learned in the past and say yeah this is how I built this huge company but a lot of times I you know I think you can get caught up as I was caught up in the early days of trying to build you know, start up and raising money to uh, and kind of doing things every, what everybody else did, and and that may nece- that may not necessarily be what may be best for you. And so, so I, I I'd say like search and, and and take in, but try not to let it affect everything. Like if you have a hunch for doing something, then then, then do it. You know, that's a lot of great minds took huge risks that at the time people said really don't make sense, and so. That's good. That's good. All right, Patrick, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was great. Talk to you soon.
Just want to say another massive thank you to Patrick for coming on the show and dropping those gems. If you guys know anyone who wants to start an app, this is the episode for them. Real practical tips, as you just heard, of how to launch an app super quick. And also, if you haven't already, check out Disconnect. I personally hate being tracked anywhere I go online, so their product is super easy to use. Check out disconnect.me. As always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the show. And if you haven't already, please subscribe so you never miss another episode. And if you haven't, also, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcasting app. Those reviews honestly do go a long way. Okay, guys, until next time, keep grinding.